Howdy, folks! Welcome to the one and only original Animusings. Featuring a bit of animation, our colorful heritage of the past. And right now, I give you a sordid assortment of executioners of history and analysis. And this is the part where we all become a jug band. Anyway, that's going to clash horribly with the music of the opening dulcet tones of the rescuers that is playing in the background right now. Like the the most, what, like longing ethereal music. I, yeah, I know we haven't really gotten, I know, I just want to say right off the bat, I'd like, I'm glad we're using this song at the beginning because I really like the opening music to the rescuers. Oh, it's beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Anna Musings. We are here with, uh, it's, it's, it's Kayla and I. Hi again. And we're here with our good friend, Paprika. Hello. And, Hi. Uh, hello. yes, hello. Yes. Uh, hello. Uh, Paprika is the awesome, uh, co-host. Uh, she's part of Ray Gun Readers. I, I am indeed. Yes. Yes. I, I keep, we work on that together. And I mostly just, um, make fun of Abysme for his crab penis a lot <laughs> as you should yes. <laughs> so uh, to, to, uh, today tonight whatever I mean I don't know what it's like on the Raycon 1 but what it's space so in the evening yeah, in well, the perpetual yeah. night of space <laughs> right yeah because Abysme is he's he's having a he ate a, a bad uh, space burrito and he's stuck in the bathroom all night so oh, it's okay. just just me and you guys Perfect. Oh, we'll, we'll we'll have revenge soon enough because he's going to have to watch Fox and the Hound with us. So. Yes. Next month. Yes. That's next month. Uh-huh. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, this month, as I said before, we're doing The Rescuers. And uh, uh, Kayla, as always, is our as our animation historian, is going to tell us a little bit about the uh, sorted. I always like to say sorted and assume the worst. The history of this particular film. I'm uh, curious about this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this one actually has a longer history, and there's some weird behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, okay. For, first off, it is based off a uh, series uh, by uh, Marjorie Sharp, uh, specifically oh. the first two books, uh, The Rescuers, which came out in 1959, and Miss Bianca, that came out in 1962. Um, now, there, before I go into the animation history, I should let you know that the movie, or not the movie, the book series is not about a aid society like it's not it's not the rescue aid society it's actually known as the mouse prisoners aid society and they didn't start by rescuing those in danger but rather accompanying and amusing prisoners during their long hours in solitude that actually makes more sense because you see mice a lot in prisons yes and i think probably that's where she got the idea Right. So when they got the rights for this and they made a treatment, it was going to be about um, mice accompanying a poet that's held in captivity in mm. a by a totalitarian government in a Siberia-like area. <laughs> I didn't know this story could get much darker. But wow. <laughs> Uh, Walt Disney shelved the project because he didn't like the idea that there would be political overtones. Fair enough. No, Fievel goes, Fievel, an American tale would do that instead. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Did they derive that story from the rights of this as well? Or is that just completely different? That's completely... Uh, it's completely different, but Don Bluth was involved in both p- p- pictures. So right. there's the connection. Yeah. Okay. And uh, in the 1970s, Don Bluth actually was the one who brought it back. Uh, there was going to be a point. The, so the idea 
during this time for Disney was like, okay, let's have an A project where it would be like a lot more money to make and they would put a lot more effort and uh, but they would also do B pictures, which would be more scaled down and with similar okay. animation. So there would be a higher release rate uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, and Rescuers was going to be a B movie, mm-hmm. while uh, the A movie was actually going to be an adaptation of a book called Scruffy. <laughs> Scruffy was about monkeys under World War II that would be threatened by the Nazi Party's attempt to capture them from the British Empire. What? Wow. Yes. It, okay. So wait, they, wait, wait. The monkeys were going to... The, the British Empire wanted monkeys from Nazis? Yep. That makes no sense. Uh, was everybody in the movie monkeys? Or I, in the pl- I, that's, prospect? That's, that, that's basically the premise I have for oh. this book. Okay. Oh, this is a book. Okay. okay. I'm sure there's context, but we don't got it. <laughs> yeah. Nope. And the, but that's what they were going to adapt. Well, they scrapped it. They said, no, "We're not doing Scruffy. Let's just go all full, all full in with the rescuers." So uh, that's why it has like a like higher quality things and lower quality things at the same time. I think so, but uh, this was still in the lower. This is still early, early development stage. Like, okay. We, we. Oh, okay. This is still writing. Because actually, they were going to do um, an adaptation of uh, uh, Marjorie Sharp's most recent book, Miss Bianca in the Antarctic, which would actually take place in the Antarctica and would focus on a polar bear. Okay. And the polar bear was going to be voiced by Louis Prima. And then. Ha <laughs> nice. ha In these. I'm sure you're going to tell us, but re- really quickly, is Miss Bianca in these stories a, a Hungarian representative? Um, as as this movie describes, or is she a completely different character? Uh, she was a more socialite. I think the reason they oh. made her Hungarian is because uh, the actress playing her, Ava Gabor, is Hungarian. Okay. Um, but So she's like a little New York socialite mouse? I don't know if she's New York socialite, but I know she is a socialite. Didn't okay. they refer to her as a, a privileged white mouse? Yes, that's what they called her. <laughs> a privileged white mouse. Wow. <laughs> Miss Bianca needs to check her privilege. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think she probably would be in New York because it does take place in New York. But uh, that's true. Uh, also, the one with the polo bear would actually have six songs uh, sung by Prima. But then uh, in 1975, he um, he got a brain tumor. Oof. So um, that project was scrapped. Okay. Uh, and then they kind of just went full force with the story idea they had now and said, okay, let's do more m- the Miss Bianca. It, actually, a lot of the story comes from Miss Bianca, that that novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so the budget was $7.5 million, Let's, which that's a little bit more than... Yeah, considering what we had before with some of these pictures, um, some of these films, that is a lot. That is a, a little bit of a step up. Okay. Yeah, we, usually they've been about four million. Then they went up to about six million. But it, yeah, it, that could be. And if you could look be on IMDb, you have quite the list of animators for this movie. Oh my gosh! Yes, yes. I mean we are. We see some familiar faces. Ken Anderson is still involved. I'm, I'm just talking about the opening credits a little bit. Just what we see. We have Don Bluth, of course. I saw Milt Call. Um, just like we, there's a bunch of people involved in this one. Like, yeah, there's like probably like fifty or sixty like animators on this. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh. Wow. Now, um, I don't know if I want to say how well it did. 
Or Why don't I... you you want to save that till the end? Yeah. Do you want well, that to be a surprise? Why don't we? Yeah. Okay. I like to do that. So we could speculate how the movie did based on our sort of reactions to it. Um, so, um, with this, is there anything else uh, I we mean, can share? Or I, do, I guess we... once we get into the animation, I can give a little bit more as that, we go through that's it. That's good. Well, that's a good setup for like leading into it. All right. Personal histories with this film. Uh, Carla, would you like to start? A personal history? Yeah. <coughs> uh, well, I watched it as a kid. Mm-hmm. As I'm sure a lot of people did. Yeah. We definitely had one of those. Um, I mean, it was one of the ones we had on the shelf with like the plastic cover on it and everything. Uh-huh. All the, you know, the little like little, like poofy cover. Uh, clamshell. Um, clamshell, yeah. And um, I, I don't want to say it's my most um, like special Disney film, but there are it is iconic, and I definitely remember scenes and moments from it very strongly i remember the glittering diamond i remember the opening scenes i remember the music um the sounds of the animals um like there's just so much in this movie that you just don't forget once you've seen it it's it's kind of remarkable in that sense Mm um yeah that's i mean like this stuff has stuck with me for a long time like the story itself um, I don't really remember. <laughs> I, I watched it last night in preparation for this, but um, as did we. Yeah, but um, the the uh, the actual story is nowhere near as memorable as the art and the uh, the sounds and the the like caricatures behind it, which uh, which have stuck with me and I remember pretty well. Oh, likewise. But, yeah, uh, that's you know my my history is with it is that I watched it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh. This one, I actually did not watch as much. Like, when I mean the last time I watched it, the last... I mean, it probably was when I was very young. I did own the movie, weirdly enough. I did own it. Like, I had, like you, I had the clamshell. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I watched... Last time I watched it, uh, it must have been younger than 10, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's been years. There were, cut like you, a couple of moments that, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, and actually, there is one part that always stuck with me. Uh, it's a very minor part, but the point when he's, like, shuffling his papers, I do that now with, uh, like, whenever I'm, like, filing papers or something like that for my job uh, or my full-time work, um, I will do, like, what he does. Huh? It's like Because for some reason that stuck with me and was like, oh, so that's how you make papers look nice and in order and not all yeah. a mess. <laughs> That's one of those. Um, I totally get that because I, I this was a this was another frequent rental, not one I owned. Um, I saw. I remember as a kid seeing Rescuers Down Under first, and then when I found out this existed, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" There's another Bernard and Bianca movie. So I saw that, and I'm like, "Hmm, this is this is still really good. I still really enjoy this." Um, it does have a very different aesthetic, though, from Rescuers Down Under, doesn't it? It's a oh, super yeah. different aesthetic, um, and I still like. As I think about it now, I, I, my, I still enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed Rescuers Down Under more, but that was beca- but this I like this for its own reasons. I think the stuff that sticks with me the most, and I will definitely um, we will definitely get into this as we go, is the um, a lot of the backgrounds of this movie really like the atmosphere of this. Movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, weird fact: this was actually the first Walt Disney animated feature to inspire a sequel. Oh, really? that's true. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, th- this will be the one that actually has its first sequel. That we... That's true, with the rest of us down nuts. under. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, because after that, like, we had originals and originals, and then this will be, this will get its sequel in next 19- Which sort of, like, the beginning of the end, in a way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, um, so yeah, let's 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 talk about the movie. Let's talk about the movie in detail. We have our opening credit sequence, and this is this is my weirdly enough that this is one of my favorite parts of the movie is just the opening credit sequence. It's just the setup with the just the, it opens quietly. There's no noise. You have Penny. Uh, we don't know her name yet, but we just see this girl in this sunken riverboat in a bayou dropping a bottle into the ocean. And then we get all these beautifully painted. Um, they almost look like oil paintings or acrylic they paintings. Do. They they're, like there's something like that. Yeah, and they're just all these different scenes of this bottle going on this perilous journey across the ocean. It like yeah, and you can see all the brush strokes, but it doesn't really take away from the 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 drama of the situation because of the music. Yeah, oh, oh the and you're that's like you said, the music is like ethereal and beautiful and dramatic and like haunting and very seventies. So. <laughs> and luckily, um. This takes place in modern day. That's an interesting thing, too. Like, uh, with... I mean, the last past animated feature that was set in... When I, when I mean modern day, I mean when the movie is set. Because, I mean, it came out in 1977, so... Yeah. Uh, I don't think... Was the last time we got that was 101 Dalmatians? I think it was 101 Dalmatians. Okay, yeah. So, it does fit the whole feel of the time period and such, so... Um, but I think the one thing I really do like is that uh, it's set in United Nations and or like you go into United Nations and then you see the mice that basically are in the suitcases of the countries <laughs> that these people are from. That's a cute. It's a cute. Detail. It's adorable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they find the bottle and the bottle gets brought to the rescue aid society. Um, and we learn that apparently they just. They're a group of mice, dedicated mice who go around helping people in need of help, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is, is it, I don't know I don't know what their exact history is, but I know they have that banner in the back to Euripides Mouse, who was the mouse who pulled the, uh, from the Aesop fable, the it one is, who pulled right. the thorn from the lion's paw. And I was actually going to uh, quote that as a fact, but yeah, it, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I noticed immediately with the animation, how fluid it is. Like, yeah. they really, like, the way that they move is much more fluid, much more, like, it feels a bit more realistic. Um, much... Uh, I noticed him a, a lot with uh, the... I know, this is true throughout the whole movie, but I was looking at the... Hum- like, when they first showed the 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 UN and all the, um, like, all the people getting out and of the cars and stuff, and I'm watching them move, I'm like, Kayla, do you think this is rotoscope? It's not. Because it looks I, rotoscope. I was wondering that, too. I looked it up. It's not rotoscope. It's so fluid, though. Like, it looks really good. Yeah, it does. I was surprised, too. I'm like, this looks rotoscoped. And I looked it up. No, it's... Wow. Because well, the nine old men were very um, dedicated. Like, no, we want to make sure that... Like, they still did the xenographic. But not, but not all nine old men were involved in no, this. No, 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 no. But, like, the four of them or whatever. Yeah. Because, remember, one had passed away. By this point, yeah. 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 Um, but, yeah, like, about... Uh, the four that worked on there were like, no, we want to make sure it's as hand-drawn as possible. They had already to deal with the xenographic. Right. Which they've been doing ever since, but they were like, no, we want to make sure this is hand-drawn. So the fact that that was hand-drawn is amazing. I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, this feels so fluid and so natural. This is... The colors in this pop, too. Yeah. 
So this is where my, my comment that it has both like A and B movie qualities is because a lot of these frames, though beautifully drawn, a lot of the background um, characters and background stuff is not moving. They, they're clearly just using stationary frames in the mm. for a lot of the background stuff, but they're still beautifully drawn. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the in the foreground, they have these these characters, and they draw them with such expression. Um, the, there's very technically competent people working on this film, very clearly. Yes, you can see that. Um, and like even like the 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 way the the mice the moves, they all have personalities, and in the later characters as well, they have like distinct uh, characters in the way they move. It's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get introduced to Bernard and Bianca in this as well. Bernard is actually the janitor for the Rescue Aid Society. And Bianca is actually a leader in this. She's uh, a, she's the, the Hungarian delegate mm-hmm, for the right. society. Yeah. Uh, here's an interesting fact. Um, what made this film interesting, they decided to go with a more feminist approach. Yeah. Like the anime. They did. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the time, like, this wasn't a real thing to do. Like, first of all, Miss Bianca is the one who asks permission to go on the she rescue. She self-actualizes mm-hmm. she, a, yes. lot, a lot in this movie, but she still needs a man's help. <laughs> yeah. because She didn't need a man's help, but here's the thing. Everybody else volunteered, and she singled out Bernard, the one person who didn't, like, really volunteer. Yeah. Well, but the one thing I like, too, is like... And that... Hmm? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, that isn't really... It isn't really clear to me why she chose Bernard, other than she likes him. That's the interesting thing. Like, she she's into Bernard right away. Like, the moment she walks in, I get the feeling that this is not his, her first... Um, I mean, this is obviously not her first meeting, but I don't think it's the first time she and Bernard have crossed paths. Oh, yeah. I think, like, she has eyed him for a while, because she keeps looking back at him and is making mm-hmm. bedroom eyes at him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Oh, one other fun thing to notice, uh, that when she walks into the uh, into the consulate... She she walks in kind of on her the front of her her uh, her mouse feet, so she oh. it looks like she's wearing heels. Oh my god, I didn't notice that. That's good. Yeah, she's got a little bit so of she's, shimmy. She's very feminine. Yes. Time. Oh yeah. Yes. Um, I love Miss Bianca. I do she's too. a great character. She's, I, she's she's a character for sure. <laughs> I just it, she's she's entertaining. Yeah, I, I think the only reason they. Uh, that she agreed to it, like, a guy joining her is because, hmm, I want to get to know Bernard more. <laughs> like, there's no other yeah. reason. Like, she could have easily picked all the other guys, but I think, yeah, she totally had an attraction to Bernard. Yeah. In fact, it's Bernard later on in the story that gets in more trouble than she does. Yes. It, it's true, actually. Um, they, they do help each other out quite a lot, which mm-hmm. I like. Like, one of them gets in trouble, the other one kind of steps up and risks life and limb yeah, to save. They do have a very, um, like, equal relationship overall, except for those uh, lubby-dubby moments. Yeah. Like, like you think about when they're in the sinkhole, they, they go to each other for help on that one. Mm. Like, there's no, there's not a superior mouse in that situation. No. Um, that's, it's true. I, I just, I really, I, I really, like, early on, I, I, it feels like it happens fast, but they have enough stuff in the first sort of act of the movie that I think helps kind of cement their bond that I mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. I actually really like their relationship. Oh, yeah. They're, in terms of a couple, I feel like they're one of my favorite Disney couples, to be honest, in terms of Disney animation history. Like, the way that they look at each other, the way that they are very respectful of each other, the way they talk to each other. It's like, you see the chemistry there. Like, I, very rarely is that... 
I haven't seen that in a lot of our films so far, except for maybe like, um, I think 101 Dalmatians had a bit of that, like with, uh, Roger and... That w- yeah, kind of. A little the, uh, bit. A little bit. You, I think this one... Cinderella had a like, little montage that was kind of like the prince and and uh, Cinderella getting to know each other, but like it was a montage where they just danced all night. Uh- <laughs> and there was really no um, impetus necessarily forcing them to, to become a couple either, other than, you know, character driving the story. But there's not like a prince and princess, princess scenario. It's that a janitor is- and a... And a representative, that's, a delegate. Like. That's yeah. true. Like, there's nothing there that says, oh, you need to get married and you have to do this. I mean, that mm-hmm. was, I mean, that was the case with, yeah, actually, you, you got a point. There's no driving force that says they have to be in a relationship. Even with 101 Dalmatians, Pongo is the one who's like, hmm, my owner, or sorry, my pet, uh, <laughs> has, is lonely and a bachelor and we need a woman in our lives. Mm-hmm. And he put, he pushes Roger into a relationship. Um, oh, and, and the other thing, that's true. The other thing I think about just now is that Bernard and Bianca, it's never like, it's never like stated on the nose, they're a couple. No. No. It's all they, they just, just they develop just, a they develop a friendship first of all and then they develop a strong bond. Yeah, and there's like hints that like there's like well, a little bit more. She kisses him on the nose. She does kiss him on the nose and stuff, but like there there's not like. Oh, but she's we're... also a lady, and you would almost expect her to do that regardless. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah it's all implied, but the implications are strong. So. But and I like it. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are moments, and I'll definitely. <laughs> And then when the music comes on and they're together, that's just just like this sweet relationship. I want to. Oh man, it's it is. It really is. Um, um, so I mean, one thing that gets established right off the right out the gate is Bernard is superstitious. Yes. yes. The number thirteen is his. his Which does that really add anything to the story other than giving him personality? Is that why quirk, that's there? But it doesn't seem to factor in that much. No, I think no. it's just a quirk. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't thematically add anything to the story. I don't think. Yeah, pretty much. I think it just drives more the point that he is a very nervous character, and that this again, it's just a quirk. It's just something to establish his personality more. It's harmless. But. Yeah, but it's 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 a neat. It's just a neat little quirk. But it, I I didn't. It didn't really contribute much. Um. But yeah, it's, it, they decide to send them on this adventure because uh, they again they get Penny's bottle and it says "Help, I'm in danger, Penny." But they, the problem is that where she probably wrote down where she was, but that part it was washed out. Was washed out. They they put that she's from the orphanage though. Well, they they know she's from Morningside Orphanage, and they because know because it's on the top of the letter and that's legible still. Yeah, right. But the but the other, I mean that that. D- despite that brave little bottle surviving a, sh- a storm and a passing ship and drifting from where I, I presume somewhere in either, I- at first I thought Florida, like, but then I realized it's probably just the Louisiana. It's probably somewhere in Louisiana, uh, the Devil's Bayou. Mm-hmm. Um, but it went the bat bottle went from there all the way to New York. It actually made, went to its intended destination, which is crazy to me. Yeah. But, the intended destination because the orphanage was in New York. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Ironically, well, that's like that's kid logic, right? The yeah. kid logic—you drop a bottle into the ocean, it'll reach somebody. Well, there's somebody there, you know. <laughs> there's a little bit of a subtext of like, uh, like in any Disney movie about faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, so she yeah. had faith that it would reach its destination, and guess what? It got there, and and 
and then and then the might the rescue aid society gets it and then they they follow i guess they follow that initial lead to to morningside so uh, yeah and then what what is interesting I, I it is another kid logic thing as well but later on when when they do meet up with penny she's like why didn't you bring the cops <laughs> that's like not even a thought in the the, the mice's brain right so. <laughs> i mean what what can do little mice do they could call the police <laughs> That's true. They could still well. Well, it didn't help. Again, they don't know I where suppose, she is. What do you? Yeah, I suppose that letter reaching the police wouldn't have really done much. They would have just like uh, lodged it away. And th- this comes in kind of to another thing. Um, I I kind of wanted to touch on was the sure. fact that you have these mice, right? right. That yes. are altruistic mice. All they want to do is help people. If hmm. there was like a UN consulate that got this bottle of like people you wouldn't believe that you know what i mean the fact that they're mice that altruistically want to help human beings and other animals and it's kind of it, it's adorable and it's uh it's it it let it you know you get around some of these questions by doing it that way right because you right. don't think people are that good that is so, true that is yeah. true uh, to be fair a lot of people in this the, the, the few people we actually meet in this movie are not very good people so no doesn't say much for humanity when the the, the few there's human actually, characters there's very few human characters in this story like uh, other than the little girl you have the two bad guys and then you have the one news reporter they talk to at the end and then everyone else is either silent or background or a dead pirate the one thing i also noticed about this too that you don't usually it, it's not all laid out like we're actually it's kind of like solving a mystery with them. Like, because the, like, we don't, we only, all we see is a girl throwing a bottle into the water. We don't know her name. We don't know what's going on. It's only until it reaches the, them that they realize, oh, her name is Penny and she's from this orphanage. We still don't know who the villain is or why she's in trouble. It's only until they get to the orphanage, they hear about Rufus and then, right. the, uh, or, uh, and Rufus is another. In- that's the cat, right? That's yeah. the cat. The cat is also another interesting character because he's there for like thirty seconds. He doesn't really have to be a character, but in some ways, he humanizes Penny, and um, like he then he's no longer a part of the story again. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like Rufus is there to help give. Yeah, like you said, help give sort of a sense of who Penny is or or was before she was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And I think or- that's. I don't want to say that that's the it's cute. It's very cute. And yeah. I love Rufus, but it doesn't really make like the story. He doesn't come back. There's no, no story arc. They, they just introduce things and then things slip away. And that's one reason I think why this story didn't stick with me overall is just because things happen. They yeah. yeah. Things follow a poetic um, three act sort of story arc um, happening. They're just there. I think, but I, I think, uh, the point Kayla hit on that I really like is the first half of the movie is a little more compelling story-wise because there is that mystery element involved. Mm-hmm. We're learning slowly through through Bernard and Bianca's actions about Penny, about Penny's situation, about the people who abducted Penny and why they abducted her. And mm-hmm. then eventually they have to make their way to, you know, where she is. When they get there is when the plot starts to, like, get all go all over the place, I mm-hmm. think. 
But okay. until that point, I feel like there's it's actually paced relatively well. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, you're, you, oh. but you also raise a good point that Rufus is there and then he's just kind of not. Exactly. So. Right. Like there's, there's, there's characters that you meet throughout the story, but I want to say the only consistent one is maybe the, the, the seagull. Like there, there's the there's the consulate characters. There's the um, there's Rufus, and then there's the Bayou characters. And oh yeah, the, the sort of the sort of swamp yokels. Yeah, the, they don't cross paths. They're just they're just like three different stories almost uh, that yeah. you're just walking through. Yeah, it it does have a little bit of a disjointed. I think it would have been a little bit more interesting if they kept a more mystery aspect. Because I mean, in a mysteries, yes, you you talk to people like oh. Uh, this is what happens. It'd be interesting if Rufus played more of a role, like maybe they could get a letter to him or something or get a... It's fine, though, if it's just a beat on a journey. Like, to me, like, Rufus is is a clue, and then he's a beat on the continued journey of Bernard and Bianca. At least the story stays mostly centered on them, Mm -hmm. and they're the ones we care about, so... Yeah, and uh, Bernard and Bianca are the strongest parts of this this whole story. absolutely. So they, uh, um, it's like all this stuff happens in the beginning and some of it leads into something and some of it doesn't. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it, it, yeah, it not, just doesn't help uh, a whole lot. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> I, I do have a fun fact. Rufus the cat actually is a caricature of animator Ollie Johnston. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's adorable. I, well, he has very, his face uh, is very oh, Rufus- distinguished. Actually, Rufus doesn't he come back in the end? Doesn't oh, he, he like, does. get adopted with with yeah, Penny? Pen- Penny Penny takes him when when she gets adopted. Okay, all right. So she he's there. Oh, oh there is one other precedent that um, Rufus's uh, flashback establishes. Penny can talk to animals. She's Eliza Thornberry. Yeah, <laughs> and she's the only one. Like I, we don't know. Like if we, she's the or if it's just like some sort of childlike magic. I think I think it's that thing. I feel I I always felt like it was that thing where kids can talk to animals because they're kids. But that's not explained. Yeah. It's not explained. It's not explained, and it's better that it's not explained, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like because I was wondering about like because you, you this cat comes up to this little girl and, and they start talking. You're like, whoa, okay, it's that kind of story now. Yeah. <laughs> but the one thing too, I think also it, it, that flashback is a way to show Penny's character in a weird way, or who she is. Although there is one thing that gets addressed, and I don't get it. Like, this is apparently a gripe with Penny, because uh, there's a point she's upset because um, she's like, this little redhead girl got adopted, and I didn't, and she's prettier than me. And I'm like, okay. And then later... Did she say that? Did yeah. she say she's prettier than me? Yeah. Or, like, okay. she, she's pretty, or whatever. And then later on, like, uh, with the villain, calls her a homely girl. I'm like... What is this about her being ugly? She's not an ugly girl. This is No, it's just that that lady, that's the whole point is that lady was emotionally manipulative and she struck a nerve. But the, she knew that. That lady right, yeah. knows that that little girl wants to be adopted and she's not going to get adopted so she's manipulating her. Mm. Yeah, but it, why is it where did the whole ugly thing come from? Why does she think she's ugly? Like this she thought this before like she met the villain. Well, what? I think it's I think it's just cuz she's looking for I mean, I think Penny is trying to find like any kid. You want to justify, I'm good, right? Why, why am I not worthy of what love? What is wrong with me? What right? is, yeah. wrong, what is with me? wrong with me compared to all these other kids? Well, oh, well, that, that kid's redheaded. That kid's also pretty. Therefore, I'm not. Yeah, and so uh, the villain, she'd recognize that and would point that out. Although, if she's this is in a scene, and we'll get to the context of that. Oh, you scene. know what? Something what? else. I might be reading into this, but the villain is also a redhead. 
I might be reading into that, but it's interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I, I want to say real quick before we go too far from the Morningside scene, I love the the little detour that they almost take through the zoo to get there. Oh, yeah. It's really subtle and small, and it's another li- nice little bonding moment between yeah. them where it has some comedy. But the main reason I love it is because I love the atmosphere of the night with the rain and the dark zoo and the distant hooting animal noises. It's just a neat little sidetrack. It's, it's one of the first scenes where they really start using the um the the animal noises and the uh i don't know what's it called what's it called when you um you make noises and they they attach to something there's a word for it uh crap when you when you go into a studio and you make a bunch of noises that fit into a movie there's a name for that oh foley foley art yeah yeah okay that's that's what's going on here, right? They, yeah. they they've introduced a bunch of unique foley art to this movie. They sure did. <laughs> they actually yeah. did. Uh, yeah, actually, there's a lot of different sounds that are used in this, like unique sounds. Right, and one that comes to mind is that the character of the dragonfly. Oh yeah, that buzz is distinct and unique, and I remembered that from this movie. Oh yeah, like that's one of the memories you hold in the back of your head. It's yeah. The, the sound of <laughs> the sound of the buzzing wings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um they actually brought a voices actor for that to do the buzzing of the wings. Really? Yeah, they, he's I thought I thought it was like a low um a, a low oscillation they were using for like a radio or something. It could be, but there's also the part the bits where you do hear Evan Rude uh going oh, like being hey, tired. Uh, hey, uh, you know, like he's panting or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, cuz he's voiced by uh Jimmy McDonald. Um, okay. Who, uh, he's, I mean, he, oh, oh, okay. You know why? He was the original head of Disney sound effects department. <laughs> 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 Although, uh, another fun fact, though, he was also the voice of Mickey Mouse from 1948 to 1977. Oh. Okay. So, okay, maybe. <laughs> so, Jimmy, so Mickey Mouse was also Evan Rude. Yes. Nice. Which I, okay, I find that kind of funny because, uh, well, one, you got the head of sound effects, so for all we know, he was using sound effects, and then just the breathing noises is this guy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so so they they do the bit with Rufus, and that's how they learn about the villain. Um, they 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 mentioned that Penny was almost lured into a car by a tra- trashy, some trashy people. He they said don't specifically really trashy explain, people, but they don't really explain how they got Penny in the end and why they specifically wanted Penny, which yeah. it never really comes up. They, they, I mean, Penny mentions later that the reason they needed her was they needed someone small enough to fit into the black hole. Right. But that could have been any child from the orphanage. Why yeah. this child? Why specific? Yeah. Why specifically Penny? Why didn't they just go in and adopt a child? Yeah. Was it because they couldn't produce the proper papers or was it because that they, because of who they are, it's not they're a- not going to get, I don't know. They, yeah. No, it is possible. They could have had a sorted past like with the police and they never would have been able to adopt. They, but that, they never like, go into that. It's, it's not like, sh- um, the, so we, we learn, we learn the villain's name because they go to her pawn shop and it says Medusa's pawn shop and her name's Medusa. Like how on the nose is that? Yeah, um, I have some but, issues. I mean, I, I we'll, we'll talk about her in a second. I'm just saying, I want to, Think about the logic of this. What if it was a thing where if they adopted a kid, there's all the legal ramifications of adopting a kid. So if anything happens to that kid while they're in the bayou, um, yeah, they, it's going to get ugly. But if they kidnap a kid and no one knows about it, then if the kid yeah, dies looking I, for the... And they another thing they never really touch on, 
but you know is going to happen is that they're planning on disposing of the child after that they get their diamond. That's yeah. right. That's, that's and that's where this movie has really dark tones. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a it starts it's a it's a little bit of a trend with uh, st- starting around this period of uh, d- these Disney films. Honestly, so um, one of the things I do like about the pawn shop scene, actually, even the orphanage scene, I love how Bianca and Bernard interact with things bigger than them. Like oh, it is, yeah. oh yeah, fascinating to see them like what they use to like climb up things and uh, where they hide. Like you could tell, like the animators were like, okay, we have small mice. How would they? Uh, how would they get into this situation? What would they do to get get from A to B? I imagine and- they have a lot of background in that because these these are mice, right? And mm-hmm. how how many of these animators have been drawing cartoons for the past thirty years? Oh, like there are there's a a lot of them were. I mean, you got the nine old men who have been with Walt since like the beginning, and right. So so in a lot of ways, mice are their forte. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, their boss is a mouse, so yeah. <laughs> um. And then it's here where we get introduced to Medusa. Um, hey, question, kids. What does Medusa make you think of? Which villain does Medusa make you think of? Mm-hmm. I I know exactly what you're going to say, and I was going to break this up earlier. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of the car she drives. Well, it's more than that. So apparently, <laughs> so apparently there actually, remember when I told you there was going to be uh, that Arctic movie? Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. They actually were considering having Cruella DeVille be the villain in that movie. <laughs> okay. Alright, uh, so this this is uh, one of those Disney reusable things. Yeah, but not only that, um, they decided, uh, no, let's not do that. Um, but, but, they still made her, made uh, Cruella DeVille the inspiration for Medusa. Uh, in special, in- really? Not the other way around? Uh, not, well, no, 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 uh, wait, what do you mean? So... Cruella became came before Medusa, not Medusa before Cruella. That's correct. What you're telling me. Yes, correct. Okay. Cruella came before Medusa, so Cruella inspired Medusa um, in terms of like her driving and all that. But there's a little bit more of a um, messed up part. So um, <laughs> uh, the cr- the creator of this is Milk Call, uh, or he was the designer for Ma- Madame Medusa. Okay, and. He um, was married to Phyllis Bounds, and who is the niece of Lillian Disney, which was um, Walt's wife. Milk Cole did not like his wife at all. He actually, at this point, really hated her and actually divorced her in 1978, a year after this okay. movie was made. He based Madame Medusa off her, how she looked. Off of his wife? Yep. <laughs> so, how, but- <laughs> so how Madame Medusa liked... He made her look like his wife at that so, time. So Medusa is a she's an interesting character because she has all of these womanly qualities. She wears this red dress, she wears earrings, she wears tons of makeup, but she never comports herself like a woman. She comports herself more like a heffalump. <laughs> <laughs> like she, she the way she she's always reacting to something and making noises and like she never acts like a woman. It's right. very interesting. I, I think uh how Rufus described her trashy. She really yeah. is trashy, and I love that. I do love the fact that. Well, in the beginning, I, I would. Yeah, she's in that sense. She's different than Corella. This is a, a woman who's not obsessed with fashion, even though she dresses like a. I don't know, she's a obsessed with jewelry. 
She's obsessed with jewels. We know that. Oh, I yeah. Was, I was mentioning to this, uh, this to to Abysme last night was that she she's coded almost like a French woman to me, but she's more. But she seems the way she talks. She's more like a New York socialite, right? She she has that sort of lowbrow, wanting to be rich quality. Yeah, yeah. She's like a. She's like a. Oh, f- from Annie. What's the name of the? Oh, Miss, Miss Hannigan. Miss, Miss Hannigan. Hannigan. She's almost a Miss Hannigan type. Almost. Know. But Almost. nobody could touch Carol Burnett. No. <laughs> no. Oh, no, of course not. I'm saying the character, like the yeah. general character of Miss Hannigan yeah, being yeah, someone yeah. who's who's got this this crummy job that wants to get rich quick somehow. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, totally. And does villainous things to get there. So this is... <laughs> so this woman, this, this villain, it, it overall is a very simple villain, but very... Opinionated, opinionatedly drawn. <laughs> yes. yes, I, I can't. I the problem is I can't separate in my mind. See, when Corella Deville comes along in in One Hundred One Dalmatians, she's instantly memorable and it's instantly has a presence. You see her and you think of Corella again, but you think of her as a discount Corella. Yeah, yeah. Like she's not. It's this. It's almost the same villain with just a couple little serial numbers filed she's off. One dimensional villain. She's overall. a very one dimensional villain. She's not. A terribly like in the echelons of Disney villains, people generally don't remember Madame Medusa. Mm-hmm. No. It probably doesn't help that her name is Medusa, and you're just like, really? Other than other than her look, right? Because this is where the animation really stands out in most movies. Because she's her look is striking, but oh, yeah. Her, oh, yeah. she she her stands character out. Character is 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 meh. <laughs> no, no, her character's meh, but she's yeah, visually striking villain for sure. Um, and I love that. There's, there's actually some really hilarious bits in here where she. She's yelling to her associate on the phone about she's going to fly out to Devil's Bayou because the girl keeps mm-hmm. getting away. And then um, that they, there's a bit, there's a close call where Bernard gets shoved in the briefcase um, unknowingly. And then I actually enjoyed the bit where the briefcase flies out of her car. She doesn't even notice that she's speeding along. And this is but again, she's so angry. Shades mm-hmm. of Cruella again. Just a crazy driver. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. car, that car is an exact model. I of was going to say. Car. Yeah, it really is. Like, what even? Uh, it's from there they decided we're going to go to the airport. I wanted, I wanted to mention when the briefcase flies out, though, it is hilarious to see, like, all her clothes, including a bra, go flying <laughs> yeah. out in a Disney movie. So Yeah. Oh, Which, we're... you know, cool. I'm glad they did that. Yeah. Oh, it gets much worse. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> you know what I'm... I know. Well, well let me wait, wait till we get to that part, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they go to the airport, and they're going to fly Albatross Airlines with... Uh, with a albatross named Orville. Yeah, this is Orville. <laughs> Which is adorable. Do you know um, where the namesake Orville came from? Because I'm sure it's got to be something. Oh, it's, a, it's after Orville and Wilbur Wright. Oh, okay. In I mean, The Rescuers Down true. Under, the, they, they meet Orville's brother, who's named Wilbur. <laughs> that's adorable. Yeah. It's a yeah. different albatross. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, but that's the, that's the significance of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is... Um, you mentioned that he's one of the other memorable characters in this besides, like, that animal well, characters besides he's Bernard he's a character Bianca. that, from the point that he's introduced, he stays in the film. This is true. He's, he's the, the only character that does that, other than the two main, uh, the, the the main three, right, of Bianca, Bernard, and um, and the little girl. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, he's a, he's the, so he's, he's a, an important character because he's the only supporting character that you get that gets to stay in the film, right? Comes back and helps them. Well, he he disappears a little later, like at, pretty much after he drops them off at the bayou. But then they meet him. But then he's at the end of the film. Yes, with yeah. them. So yeah, 
we spend a little bit of, we spend enough time with with Orville that he he leaves an impression. So yeah, mm-hmm. we do get a sense of his character. I feel like uh, funny enough in in Rescuers Down Under and when we get into that, uh, they leave Wilbur throughout the whole film. It's not just a transportation thing. But we keep cutting back to Wilbur and his own misadventures. Yeah. But we'll talk about that when we get to the Rescuers Down Under. Yeah. So, yeah. but with this, and we'll one- compare. We're going to be doing a lot of comparisons to this movie. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and uh, Wilbur is basically just, uh, or sorry, Orville is just a basically a big aviation pun the entire time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's just a, it's just how many airplane jokes and pilot jokes can we throw in with this scatterbrained albatross, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, you, you get to see Bernard nervous and everything. And mm-hmm. I love, I love um, how, I love their, uh, uh, differing reactions though. like bernard is scared out of his mind when they're doing the dive and bianca is having the time of her life this is <laughs> yeah and they're in like a tuna fish can it's so cute it's so great the little like they they, they buckle up and they have to roll the sardine oh! thing up yeah and then there's the there's one of those infinite infamous uh frames in that in this yes. scene as well I was, kayla's yeah. waiting kayla's been sitting here like shivering waiting to talk okay about all this. right well go ahead. <laughs> so, which i'll you could talk about we'll talk about it fun weird fact so during their flights uh the, in, it depends on the version you see but in the original theater version for only two frames you see what's called an objectional background image aka you see a picture of a topless woman in one of the windows as they're flying by. <laughs> this this was actually confirmed. And why was it confirmed? Because in 1999, when they re-released it, they realized, oh no, we released it with... Because uh, apparently they re-released it earlier, but that was a different print version. Because oh. was was that a joke amongst the animators? They were never going no. to release it? Here's the funny part. the This was not done with the animators. The animators did not put that in there. This was done during post-production. Okay. So it was someone else who added it to the print. Um, someone snuck it in there. Yeah, and they that was in the theater version. But So they never got a culprit for this? Nope, no culprit. We don't know who. That's we just, beautiful. We just know it's post-production. <laughs> and then um, that print was released during uh, in the theaters, but then when they released it, I want to say it was 1992, they released, a, they released another print which didn't have it, but then when they released it in 1999, they realized, oh no, we released something with boobies in it. So they actually recalled all of those versions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, they and st- nobody actually sent them back because they loved their copy of The Rescue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's kind of like uh, how they... I, I Wasn't that the case with Little Mermaid as well? Like, Yeah, well, one of those spires looked like a penis or something. Yep, it did. I actually still have that clamshell uh, with it. I am not letting that go. Yay. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, fun fact: this Disney actually claimed, like, we are so sorry. We want to keep this as family friendly as possible. That was not that they took. I mean, it was Don well, Booth. That um, was him putting. I know. In. <laughs> okay, so this brings up another question I have because I know, for instance, that that Disney had these really uh, terrible contracts with their animators, where they basically tried to own everything mm-hmm. um, the animators ever produced, even in their free time. And so a lot of animators got angry and started to write or draw porn that Disney had to accept and put in like a porn drawer. This is completely true. This, but did this start happening at a later time, or is this around the seventies, eighties, as early as this happened? Uh, I I don't know. 
I don't know how soon it was or how early it was, but I know, I, th- I think it was very early on. Because even, like, I remember, like, in the 40s, uh, Walt did have a much stronger c- control over his animators. Actually, Chuck Jones animated oh, for, like, A six- lot of the animators hated him, didn't they? I remember one speaking out against him uh, in a video. Mm-hmm. You know, but there was there was an animation strike. There was an animation right. strike because he w- did do favoritism, and then not only that, he did burn bridges with a couple of really talented animators. Actually, Ken Anderson, one of the animators on this, and actually a big animator in Disney history, had a falling out with Walt just because he didn't like 101 Dalmatians, and he's like... <laughs> No, Walt was like, oh, I don't like this, but it's a hit. I don't care. I don't like it. Well, too bad. And Walt's like, well, you're never working for me again. But then, funny enough, two weeks before Walt passes away, he goes to Ken Anderson and does, like, an apology. Okay. then, yeah, and that's how they made up and... And now yeah. Ken Ander- and you see Ken and, and especially recently you see Ken Anderson's name over everything. He's oh, involved yeah. in this one. Although fun, funny, uh, funny note. Once again, this is produced and direct has uh, director credit for Wolfgang Reitherman. Oh yeah, our old friend Wolfgang. He basically <laughs> directed a lot of these movies in the seventies. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, do you? I, I'm sure you know as well when when Don Bluth left Disney. Do you remember when that is? Uh, actually, this is was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I should have mentioned this earlier. So we, we talked about it a little in Pete's Dragon. But uh, yeah, he, he's already had a lot of issues with um, how the Disney company was treating him. Mm. Like in, uh-huh. like in Pete's Dragon, uh, the main director said, "Can't I just share the director credit with Don Bluth?" And they said, "No, it's live action. He's just an animation director." Uh, oh yeah and then there was a point they made him as well as gary goldman work a hundred hours a week and they said we should be compensated for this and they said okay how about this whatever hours you put in that's the amount you get time off and they got six weeks of time off for how much they worked on pete's dragon wow yeah it's insane Um, okay but 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 this Pete's Dragon became before the Rescuers, and Don Bluth still has a credit on the Rescuers. Yes, Don Bluth did work on this. It was after this movie he left. So uh, okay. So and here's what broke the camel's back, or the straw that broke the camel's back. So Don Bluth noted that the characters don't have white in their eyes. Have you noticed? Like, I, oh yeah, there's only in like certain extreme close-ups you get that. Uh, Don Bluth questioned why this was, and he was told that it was too expensive. <sighs> so Don Bluth and Gary Goldman said, okay, let's see if this is true. Like, is it really that expensive? And they tested it, and they said, it's not that expensive at all. And then when they reported back their discovery, they were literally legitimately told, follow orders and just do as you're told. Oh. The char- what do you mean the characters don't have white in their eyes? Well, if you look at ben- Bernard and Bianca, it's just black lines. Their eyes are black. Okay. Like, uh... But only in certain close-ups do you get to see, like, the whites of their eyes, like, surrounding uh, their pupils. So, like, far away. Because, yeah, I'm looking at at the movie right now um, while we're talking. um, And I I see that, for instance, on Bernard, his eyes are gray. They didn't bother to white out his eyes. But they are... He does... But uh, Bianca has white around her eyes because her her fur is white. Yeah, she's a white mouse, so... But... Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but then there's parts where if you look at certain scenes, there's, like, not a black line. It's clearly just... Okay. That's yeah, just white. So they cut their corners. Yeah, they were trying to cut corners, basically. And, okay. And, uh, again, 
Don Bluth's like, why aren't we doing this? This feels lazy. And there he mm-hmm. said, and, but when he is told, do as you're told and stop asking questions, Don Bluth's like, well, I'm done. You know what? I really can't, can't blame Don for that. And, I really don't. And guess what? He and Gary Goldman left. Banjo the Woodpile Cat, here we come. Well, and, <laughs> and then Secret of Nymph. Oh, yes. Which Oh, there is uh, one other thing I wanted to point out before we get too much farther. Is that the beginning of this movie, the one we are talking about with all the watercolors and like the, that, the length of that scene and the drama of that, that scene for that, that glass bottle reminds me a lot of Land Before Time. That was Don Bluth, yes. Yeah, you can see the direction there. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Actually, once we get into the 80s, um, apparently Walt Disney Animation does go a bit downhill. Yeah. and then But the funny part is Don Bluth is his movies start to do great. They after, take off. Oh, yeah. 1982 is when American Tale comes out, and it's a huge hit. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's like the insanity <laughs> of that. Yeah. Uh. Um, this is a weird, we're getting into a weird period of Disney, of Disney animation history, but, um, yeah, but yeah, but let's, let's, let's carry on with the film. So, uh, okay. sure. Wish we'd have taken the train. Uh, they, we get the set, we get the third song in the movie, which is this nice little musical montage as they're flying from New York to wherever Devil's Bayou is. Obviously. Yeah. And then they never say where, but it's obviously somewhere swampy. Again, I feel like I feel like the closest it would be would be maybe somewhere in Florida, if not Florida, then Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And this is I, I'll ask you guys this, um, because this is how I feel about the movie. It seems to me that the animators overall enjoy drawing nature way more than they enjoy drawing the city. Yes, I agree to that. Yeah, because a lot of the, the scenes in the city are are pretty standard that they're they're drawn very um uh, what efficiently uh, like for instance when they're flying through and the albatross is flying through the cars and the cars are moving they're just like lines that are drawn like beige cars all in a row right hard or lines hard cars. edges yeah yeah but then we we especially when the song starts you get these beautiful shots of clouds and colors and things happening and just happy mice <laughs> yep They've had a history of this too. Like when it when it was always something natural, they put more effort into like that background. And I look mean, at the Jungle Book. The Jungle Book. Oh my gosh, <laughs> those backgrounds. Every frame of painting. <laughs> oh, it's so gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I think plus if you think about it, they're more trained in drawing natural stuff than they are in the city. When mm-hmm. have when the last time they did a city drawing was 101 Dalmatians, if I recall. And that's like all city, and I was just about to bring that up. I, I can imagine why. So, uh, when well, Aristocats kind of had a city like that thing. movie. Yeah, okay. yeah, but they also had their 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 river moments in the Aristocats too. That's true. That's and, true. And not only that too, with 101 Dalmatians, half of it is set in the country. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think they're very more accustomed to natural settings, and this mm-hmm. is something they know very well and have redrawn over and over, and that's probably why they put more effort into that. Where cities aren't mo- as right. much. I think, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of a t- when they'll get into much more city landscape. I know they're going to, it'll be really readily apparent when we get into Olive Byrne Company. Like, oh, yeah. That mm. it basically New York is front and center in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. The, the um, animation and uh, for the backgrounds in the Devil's Bayou is 
quite gorgeous. Well, not a, I mean, just going to Devil's Bayou when they're singing, like they have all these montage beauty shots of the clouds mm-hmm. and the, the, the cities underneath. And I love that, that shot where like the sun's going down and you see that city in the distance, but then it goes completely dark, but all you see is the lights of that yeah. town. I, it's, it's such, that's gorgeous. I love all the montage stuff in this movie. I very much enjoy. Yeah. Especially this. I like this song. It's, this is even like the other one is more ethereal. This is, this is instantly very dated, this song. When you think about it, this is 70s. Uh, I mean, this is one of those things that, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, even though it's dated, it doesn't lose the the emotional impact that, oh, it, no. that it pervades. Or, yeah, or, yeah, don't let me, don't let me, the, don't let me say that story. by dated it makes it any less of a song. It's just that it really helps couch the movie in the time period it was made in, you know? Oh, okay. I got what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, like, you know, it's got those, you know, like trumpets in the background, you know, mm-hmm. like those horns. Um I don't know. It's like I don't know. This this has a has a moment that I another Bernard and Bianca moment. It's one of my favorites, and it's when he's reading about Devil's Bayou and Bianca's kind of cuddling up to him and falling asleep, and he finally like he's he can tell he's like weirded out about it. But then you see that shot of them from behind, and he kind of does like the little finger walk, and then puts his arm around her shoulders. Oh yeah, and it's so cute. <laughs> they like fall asleep together. I'm like, oh, honestly, the subtleties of them developing a relationship are so adorable yes yes it's just so sweet i yes. love their relationship um but then we get to devil's bayou do we question do we cut to um i'm trying to remember this we cut to penny running away again that's it and we get some great shots of the the sunken the, the sunken riverboat that so uh, they're using as actually i have a quick question so in some of the scenes right at the beginning of um the the bayou scene yeah uh, they they show um, basically a moonlit swamp and mm-hmm. they show the riverboat and the lights are reflected in the water yeah and I mean that doesn't look like it's in it's animated to me it looks like an effect like they they were they were putting like a piece of glass in front with like water shining down or something it might have I don't been. know um, yeah they've done the same thing in like that that shot where it's the moon shining on the on the bayou. Um, yeah. we've seen that shot a couple other times in a couple other films. Uh, the first oh, one that, again, okay. that jumps to mind is, is there's that scene in the jungle book, which right after they escape from the ancient ruins and they're hanging out in the, in the like lagoon area at night. And you get that same establishing shot with the trees in the foreground, the moon in the background and the light, sh- the moonlight on the water. Yeah. So this is, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know the effect <clears throat> they're using, but it just makes the scene pop. It really does. It really sets up the, 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 the bayou. I love the bayou. It's <laughs> um. I here's the thing though with this part. I feel like once they get to Devil's Bayou, this is when the story goes off the rails. <laughs> it does. Well, I mean, before we get to that, I would like to say like this as a child. I mean, I grew up on the West Coast. This is my first introduction really to anything Southern, right? So right. I have no idea what that little that little black smoke poofing up. Uh, boat is called i have no i have no idea like i have no context for the situation so it's utterly foreign to me and in that way this, these these images are striking and they stick in my mind the idea of a ruined steamboat i mean it, it you know it's 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 icon it's like it it's unique for it me. is it's why I like, yeah. it's, it's such a great set piece for this like just mm-hmm. this it's it's this creepy fallen grandeur thing in the middle of this this desolate, not desolation, but it's like, it's the, you could tell the swamp is starting to take this, this steamboat back. And yeah, it makes you wonder how it got there. Why all that stuff's on there. How, 
how the heck uh, Medusa and her her associate turned mm-hmm. it into their hideout. And then there's one other movie I'd like to talk about because there's another movie that takes place in a similar environment, and that's Princess and the Frog. Yes. Yeah, we, and the what was that? Uh, we don't have anybody for guests for that actually. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put your name in the hat. Okay. Um, the, the, what's interesting about it is just the, you can see like the difference in environment. Cause that, like, and even the difference in time period. Cause this movie was drawn in the 70s and that movie is much, much more recent. This movie, like, when the little girl goes out in the swamp, you feel like she's in danger. These yeah. trees oh, yeah. start, it's at nighttime, the swamp is dangerous, and you get that feeling. In the new movie, you know, there's fireflies, it's all, she might as well be walking around in a fairy elf forest. <laughs> yeah. The, bi- it's the, the a swamp. Completely different. It's the fantasy swampland in Princess and the Frog versus the scary wild no wilderness not wild overgrown the, um, the overgrown like you, fetid yeah. humid foggy I think what, haunted I don't know I think I here's the thing I know that like we saw the two crocodiles or alligators uh are. Yeah, they're, they're gators. They're gators. They're gators. Uh, alligators in the beginning, but it was like so subtle, I didn't even think about it. I, it but when she comes out walking them, I'm like, uh, and you, you're starting to lose me, movie. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sillier things have happened. No, but-, but this is a movie where animals are talking to you. I mean, that's 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 the least um, uh, unacceptable part of this movie, in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Like, you have a cat with a freaking mustache. <laughs> yeah, but, it's, but here's the thing. Even... But there's still a weird realism to, like, how the people were acting, how they were doing all that. And then, but, like, the only exception was, like, the world of the animals was different. I There's still a realism to, like, the people coming in and all that and how they did all that. It just was, like, why does she have pet alligators? What? Because she's that kind of villain. Because apparently. Yeah, she, she's totally that kind of villain. So... <laughs> Uh, the alligators are actually based off, uh, funny enough, two, um, bl- bloodhounds, Tyrant and Torment. These alligators are known as Brutus and Nero. <laughs> <laughs> and then... So they're Roman Emperor alligators. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, then we get, we see Mr. Snoops. Oh, gosh. These names. Yeah. It's so... Medusa and Snoops. But, okay, so Mr. Snoops. Is he a character that really needed to be in this movie? No, I don't know what his purpose is. I, he's, actually, he's the he's the bumbling sidekick. No, I didn't understand the why. Old, mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't understand why he was in this movie. Well, because here's the thing: what is his relationship to Medusa? I know they're like he's kind of he's her henchman, but what was he her lawyer? Was so. This is this is the thing where, where it's of the time I think because in the seventies a woman couldn't act on her own she needed a partner a male a male um, supervisor almost potentially the other relationship that comes to mind which is a little bit later and maybe even based on this one is in Casper you have the bad guy and then you have the um, but Eric um, Idle but Eric Idle yeah. <laughs> no Eric Idle was her lawyer that was actually made clear right. that's her lawyer. Like, and here he's a henchman. Like he just does her bidding. Maybe he runs the pawn shop. It's not really. Maybe clear. he's like right. her accountant or something. But that's never yeah. made clear. This, um, this clearly Jewish man is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, he's like you look at him. This is. 
Whoa, whoa, well, what's up, Medusa? Whoa, 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 what's going on? <laughs> By the to way, me, as a kid, all it all it conveys to me is nerdy. Yeah, but yeah, the Jewish would be okay. So apparently, he's a caricature of animation historian John Colhane. Uh-huh. Uh, and actually, he visited the studio quite a bit. Uh, they actually nicknamed him Mr. Snoops. Why? I have no idea. But he, snooped. he snoops around their studio trying to get information. But apparently, the animators would trick him into doing various stuff and poses so they could get more of a life. Ah! Yes. God, <laughs> the villains are just them poking fun at real life people. They really yeah. are. Wow. No wonder they're not super memorable. Mm-hmm. They're done out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> Both of these villains are like actual villains for the Disney. <laughs> <laughs> so they're literal Disney villains. Yeah. Um, so so uh, Brutus and Nero, uh, Snoops is lighting off flares to light up the swamp, which seems like an odd thing. And then and then Medusa goes out in her swamp mobile to try and find Penny. And... Um, Again, they needed the they needed a swamp equivalent of uh, Cruella Deville's car, so they have this swamp mobile. Uh, um, yeah. By the way, this and that w- is another iconic noise. The <laughs> oh yeah, the, <laughs> the sound of the engine sputtering yeah. is very mm-hmm. good. Uh, I was just gonna say, uh, apparently, this was also an unusual thing because Penny keeps running away. Like this is usually like usually a female character in Disney movies would she would normally just oh let me throw a bottle. And hope someone will save me. I'm the damsel in distress. But and, and another feminist thing. She keeps running away. She actually tries to make active motions of trying to escape her captors. Penny mm-hmm. Penny has some agency. Mm-hmm. So. You could almost... Okay, here's a weird argument. You could almost say that everybody... There's, there's three couples in this movie. There's Bernard and Bianca. There's Mr. Snoops and and Medusa, and then there's Penny and Teddy. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Um, now I don't know why they all need a male counterpart. I mean, Bernard adds the story. Mr. Snoops argue, arguably doesn't, but Teddy has a purpose. Teddy is how Medusa controls Penny later in the movie. That's right. That is true. So uh, I don't know if I don't know why the men are necessary. I'm guessing it's a '70s thing, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like Bernard is necessary just because I like Bernard. <laughs> well, the, Bernard, but, but, but the thing is, the, the thing is, I, he, maybe he, maybe he's not, but like, there, I, actually, here's the thing though. Bernard proves him. He's got more to prove than Bianca. Bianca's already established as a, as a delegate and a member of the society. It's Bernard who has everything mm-hmm. to prove because he's just the janitor. I think mm-hmm. also. So, but he starts proving it right away, especially when, uh, they're at the orphanage and he's actually asking really good questions to Rufus and he's actually like taking initiative and stuff. And, but he's not taking anything away from Bianca. They're like, they continue to build off of each other. Yeah. Like, plus he's a good counterfoil to Bianca. Yeah. Again, he's more nervous. She's more Calm daring. And collected. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe Mr. Snoops is also the foil for Medusa because he's he, kind of, um, I don't know. He's kind of beta and she's alpha, I guess. He is pretty beta, actually. He's always running around and kind of simpering and just cringing away from her doing things. He offers some suggestions and she immediately ignores them. Mm -hmm. I got all these other diamonds right here. And he's like, she tries to hit him with a cane. Mm -hmm. You know, like. Again, I don't know what their relationship is. How does he know her? 
<laughs> it, it, like, there's no May- explanation it, there. There's nothing given in this. Maybe there is, and we just missed it. May I? I think that Medusa. I, I think at the very least, the context we can get is Medusa with the pawn shop would have gotten information maybe from someone pawning her the map. You see her reading a, a treasure map, and at one point in the movie, like later in the later in the movie, and. We know, but because of that map, she knows where the the Devil's Eye Diamond is. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, what if What if she had to get Snoop's? I don't know. I still don't. Actually, none of this none of this justifies Snoop's being. Well, there. yeah. I, I mean, even if they wrote they they shoehorned in a reason for him to be there thematically and story wise, he's he doesn't really serve a purpose. You're right. I yeah. I'm trying to. I'm only trying to justify because I'm like, why else would they put him in the movie? And I go because. Because it's tropey for the villain to have a bumbling sidekick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except in other Basically. movies where it's the villain and the bumbling sidekick, it works out. Look at Captain Hook and Mr. Smee. Who oh, yeah. doesn't love those two? They're the perfect couple. Yeah. They are. <laughs> Maybe it's... Yeah, exactly. So they decided for whatever reason there needed to be two villains. One that's the, the, the actual villain and one that's the less scary sort of bumbling comic relief villain. Even though Mr. Snoops isn't really funny. Yeah, he's no. there's nothing... Nothing about Mr. Snoops that's funny. Uh, but basically, Penny runs away. She's brought back by the alligators. Um, the flares that Snoop shot off uh, knock uh, Bernard, Bianca, and Orville out of the sky. Uh, luckily, they are able to recover and land, basically crash land near um, the the swamp yokels. The, I don't remember half of these characters' uh, names. It's Ellie Mae and Luke. And they're oh, not yeah. super memorable, except that Luke drinks moonshine. And he's also voiced by uh, Pat Butram. Yep. The moonshine is almost like the, the best supporting character. <laughs> the moonshine really is. It's what gets things handled. I'd say. Right. And, mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, the, all of these characters they introduce in this scene aren't. These are all. They feel like stock cartoon characters. They do. Like, they. they I mean, they they all clearly have personalities, but none of them are developed. It's almost like they're they're coded in a way that you'd recognize them from previous cartoons. Right. Therefore, they don't need much time in the movie for you to get to know who they are. Right. You you look at Ellie May and you hear Ellie May. She's like, okay, based on her interaction this in this bit with Luke, you already know who they are, and they're just like mm-hmm. again, they're just swamp billies. Yep, that's the best yeah. way to describe them. They're swamp billies. They're and not... the thing that st- stands out is just the moonshine and even root. <laughs> oh yeah, because I like even root. Mm-hmm. I like even. Well, because the flare we mentioned this already. The flares are what it catches Orville on fire, and then oh yeah, yeah, they spin it around, and then luckily, while Bianca and Bernard who have fallen out, uh, Bernard has an umbrella. Also, that umbrella has been very useful. They use that umbrella <laughs> a lot, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, is able to like he he's able to use it so they can float down safely. Also, by the way, there's like a clip of this, but he holds Bianca, and you see this like smile between the two, and you're like, I know they're in danger right now. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. it's a it's a, a very much I got your back, you got mine yeah. kind of thing. Uh, um, but yeah, don't they 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 fall in right or are they 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 uh they go to they go to take even uh, Evanrude to go find uh penny because they realize that what's going on is basically that they need to find out where she's being taken we should also explain uh, uh evan rude is a dragonfly in a sweater in a sweater and he's the one that actually controls this like 
leaf that's like a boat. He's basically yeah. He's their transportation. Yes. It's like he. It's one of those like swamp boats. It's like a caricature of those swamp boats you'd find in like the Everglades. You know, mm-hmm. swamp cruisers. Um, and uh, they go and they do a thing. Orville. There's a one last gag bit here with Orville where he tries to get a takeoff across the water and he gets sucked through the engine of Medusa's swamp mobile. Yeah, comes out charred and you know hacks and coughs and flies away. And then we don't see Orville again for the rest of the movie until the end. So, exit Orville. Exit Orville for now, yes. For for now. Um, but yeah, they there's some bit where there's... I mean, we don't have to go everything. Uh, there's a big size comparison between the mice and the crocs, and uh, or the gators, and because there's like that bit where they're stuck between them as they swim by yeah. and they get like caught in the wake. Mm-hmm. And now basically a whole bunch of cartoony stuff happens, right? Yeah, yeah, this is about the point where I think we don't have to... We could shorthand a lot of this. Because yeah. it is, like I said, this is the part that kind of goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it but just, in this part, it does behave more like a cartoon because it has cartoon antics. That's yes. true. I actually really like, in terms of the cartoon antics, the part I really like is when they actually get to the riverboat. They're trying to get to Penny, uh, Bernard Bianca. They get the attention of Brutus and Nero. They hide in the uh, a pipe organ and the, the gators start... One of them starts it. pounding on the keys, and then it makes a little pipe organ song, and it's hilarious. I love this scene. By mm-hmm. by the way, uh, Call uh, Milk Milk Call uh, and Frank Thomas, uh, two of the nine old men, had a disagreement about this sequence. Um, oh, really? Yeah, uh, Milk Call felt that the alligators were too clowny, and they're like, "This is losing their menace." To which Frank Thomas is like, "Madame Medusa falls off a chair after." he clumsily pushes it beneath her feet. Do you think that took away her menace at all? And then he's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, this is, this is, a, this is, a, I, I like this part where they're trying to like yeah. blow the and mice that, I mean, out. Yeah. And then listening to that organ is also pretty memorable too. They, they used that as a, as a moment to, uh, to put, to put a suspenseful or, or uh, moment-driven music into the story as well yes. by having him play the the organ. Uh, so they 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 wreck that organ. The mice get away. They there's a bit where they like almost give up. Oh, did you already mention that 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 Penny gets dragged back by the crocodile? I did. Yeah. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then, and so now, really, what happens next? It's memorable. Is is Penny talks to Medusa, and then the mice talk to Penny. Right. Yes. And this is where there's that. This is that bit where you see Medusa pulling her fake eyelashes off, and mm-hmm. um, she talks to. It says, "Why? Who would adopt?" So she says, "You have to earn their trust." And she's trying to convince Penny. Like, here's she. This is where you know that she's not terribly bright because she's like who would adopt a homely little girl like you i'm like aren't you trying to convince her to be on your side so she'll go in the the freaking pirate cave to get the treasure well for yeah you? so so in that sequence what happens right is is penny says will you take me back to the orphanage in which um in which uh medusa asks her why and she's like well so i can get adopted and then she says that line so in my mind it's mono- emotionally manipulative to a get her to not run away again and to, oh. get her not, to want to go back to the orphanage because, um, I mean, it doesn't really matter what Penny wants because they're going to dispose of her. Right. That's, that's what is implied. But it seems, uh, but it seems counterintuitive 
Okay, maybe it, maybe you're right though. But in my mind, it was counterintuitive because like it's going to make her less cooperative with them. Well, except but she's but she's got low self esteem anyway. So. Exactly. So she has low self esteem a and b. You have to also realize she has no adults in her life to help her mm, out. That's true. All right. she has is Medusa, and Medusa is basically in this scene. She's she's her words are honey. Right. Okay. So, she she says this all very sweetly, by the way. She talks to Penny very sweetly throughout the almost throughout the whole thing. Right. <laughs> it's not until she finally gets the diamond that she's like, I don't care anymore. I'm yeah. just trying. So all she's doing is trying to break this little girl down, and it's very easy for her to do because there's nobody in her life telling her otherwise. Mm-hmm. She has no parent. Like all the adult if you look at her, there's this scene where she goes out to right before the mice come up to her, right? Where she goes and she stares at the moon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that that scene really has the weight of, of saying she has no one. She is mm-hmm. alone. All she has is her little teddy bear. Like, that's it. <laughs> right. That's true. Have faith, little one. This is another song. Another mm-hmm, song yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, her faith paid off because here's these two mice. <laughs> to which she's like, didn't you bring someone bigger? Like the police? <laughs> right. And so ultimately, I think the mice are supposed to be kind of like her conscience, in which case Penny saves herself. <laughs> Um, Her conscience had a lot of adventures without her in that case. <laughs> now, they come up with this plan... Right. And it's, but the thing that both Dave and I were kind of confused by, because like they come up with this plan and they send even Rue to get back up. But like in order to do this plan, we need the swamp folks. So go get Ellie Mae and the others. But here's mm-hmm. my question. How does Ellie Mae and Luke and the rest of the people know about this? They don't. No, but they, they already, they already said that they were going to round up the neighbors to help. But they, it's it's almost a throwaway line, almost. They like they go like we'll go after her, and they're like we'll round up the neighbors to help. You just let us know. Mm-hmm. But then uh, there's a point where doesn't Penny say like oh I don't want to go back down there, and they're like don't worry, you don't have to, and they she just goes back down there. Of course. Well, okay. There's a, there's a reason for that. They're like okay, here's what's gonna happen tonight. We're gonna send Even Rude to get the swamp folk. They'll come and they'll help us enact this plan. Evenrude is on his way there when he disturbs a sleeping, uh, like, group of bats, and they chase him, and he has to hide in a bottle, a, a discarded I, bottle I, in the swamp. I, I get he never that. makes it to the swamp folk. No, I get that, but right. it would be kind of nice if there was something in between, like, we just have to go, it's okay, like, Kirk Comptinger is like, but I don't want to go down there, like, or telling the mice that or something. Yeah, basically the mice are lying to her when they say that, that's a good point. That's yeah. true. There is, I, I mean, I, it makes sense if you think about the context. They weren't able to enact the plan because Evenrude did, never made it. But, like, it does cut pretty abruptly from the swamp folks, like, in the, in the hut, saying, like, once we get the word, we'll go out and do this. I hope she doesn't have to go down the hole again. Boom. She's going down the hole again. Um, mm-hmm. Would have been nice to have a little And that's where I kind of like the idea of these mice almost being, like, her inner dialogue. Because she's telling herself that she doesn't have to go down the hole again. But in the end, she does have to. Yeah. yeah. Well, this part, it was a part that young David and Joy because it had uh, Echoes Pirate. of Pirates of the Caribbean in it, oh, with yeah. them going into a cave <laughs> that had d- uh, pirate skeletons in it. Are we already there? Are we already talking about the diamond scene? Yeah, yeah we're already there, unless there was we missed anything you wanted to discuss. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're at the pirate scene where he has- this is This is where Medusa takes Teddy away and uses yeah. him as leverage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a really tense scene. Like, you, it's a, you actually... I gotta get props to this movie. You kind of don't know where this is going, like in the, a way. 
she's going down a dark hole and it's very disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. And then she keeps saying, please let me up to the water's rising. And you're like, oh, yeah, there is a time limit now. And yeah, because yeah, they don't say it, but I imagine there's there's a tide that's low right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it's interesting the way the water like geysers out of this big hole in the middle of the cave. That sinkhole is freaking scary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it is even scarier when like the mice are going in it and it's like. As a, like, two mice are very small, this is, like, a typhoon, and... Mm-hmm. When we're talking about the mix of A and B here, like, in terms of the animation, I actually really like the bits where... The bits here are, are top quality, and I love when... It's really tense when, when Bernard is falling into the hole, and you see a close-up of his face as he's as he's slowly sliding in, and he just yells, Help! It's just, you oh, can yeah, see the yeah. real panic on his face. And then Bianca, Bianca comes to save him. yeah. And then when they at the detail also when they're in the skull they're in the they're they're in a human skull and the diamond's in there but the diamond is okay so so big so uh, really quickly to explain right they they go into this hole and Penny's been going into this hole for vaguely three months yeah vaguely and she's been pulling out all these little diamonds that that uh, Medusa is not happy with she wants the big diamond and she hasn't been able to find it until. Bernard braves the other side of the sinkhole that she's afraid to go past. Right. She has the only reason she hasn't gone there. Right. Right. It's good uh, that the mice showed up because they're actually willing to take that step that she wasn't, but she shouldn't have had to take that step in the first place. She's being coerced by a terrible person. Anyway, there's a skull. It's got a big diamond in it. And this is one of those scenes that that that's iconic and sticks with you because when she shines that light, lantern, the, the the diamond shines beautifully. The colors dazzle the characters as well as the audience. Yeah, definitely. They're really good with coloring in this. This like the the colors, like I said before, the colors really do pop in this. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I wonder, in just I, idly, uh, who put who, who whose skull that diamond was in. When, yeah, how did was that someone happen? Because that diamond is way too big to have been, like, someone's... Like, it was a bit irony, obviously. Like, someone put it in there to be like, okay, this is the devil's eye, therefore it should be in the eye of this skull. But... Who, who decided on that? Pirates are weird, man. Yeah. Especially yeah, Disney well, pirates. Yeah, well, and then the, the, the skull is, like, stuck, too. That's the other thing. <clears throat> yeah, it's, like, fused to the rock or something. Mm-hmm. So it's not really clear if the, the diamond ended up in the skull before or after... Um, it was buried in here because of all the water and tides that have come through as right. well. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm actually surprised. I'm actually, it's probably fortunate for any who came here because if that diamond had been washed into that hole, like if that skull hadn't been fused to the rock, the skull and the diamond would be gone. Mm-hmm. They would be down in the bottom of the tide, the, the tide spout or whatever. They would have died. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they almost drown. Penny uses a sword to get the, the, the mouth of the skull open and save the mice and the diamond. And then they're, mm-hmm. they're luckily able to get out before the tide gets them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they so villain gets what she wants. Yep. She gets the devil's eye and she gets so crazed that she's like, nope, it's all mine. And he's like, but, but Mr. Snoop's like, but we get half, remember? Like, I, there's a little, uh, there's a gag here that I actually kind of like where she's holding it and he's, lo- she's looking really disdainfully over her shoulder at Snoop. He's like, oh, can I just, I just want to look at it. And he, she does like a little, like she turns it briefly yeah. at him and then turns it away. And, and there's a, a little piano sting on it. Yeah. Of it. It's, that's actually a little bit of comedy. I'm like, okay, see, that's, that's a funny thing the villains actually did. Yeah. Like, okay, there you go, movie. I'll give you that one. Um, they go back to the riverboat. Uh, meanwhile, Avenrude got out of the bottle finally and makes a bolt for it. And then we get the animals 
doing their whole charge thing. Yeah, and it just feels like, I mean, as cute as these animals are, it's pretty generic um, how these animals are acting. Yeah, there's... That, I, I kept thinking to myself, I'm looking at the size difference, like, that is a really small owl. That is an extremely small owl. I don't know why they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't, the animals aren't terribly memorable. Like, there's a mole, there's a rabbit, there's a Luke, there's Ellie. Yeah, they did a little, they do there's a little a tortoise in the hair bit where um, the, the rabbit, like, fish hooks the turtle to drag him along and all of this, right? Yeah, I think they just want to do it, have a. I think it's moment. it's really cute that the gopher, gopher wears a miner's helmet, but I think <laughs> it's also something you see you've seen before in a cartoon. Oh, somewhere. definitely. This has been didn't, this was done in Beauty, not Beauty's, uh, in Winnie the Pooh, right? If I well, Gopher didn't have a miner's helmet. Oh, he didn't. Okay, well, then. Gopher was a character. This Gopher is not a character. <laughs> um, yeah. And how do the animals even help again? I don't remember. They just go uh, they, charge, and, and they just they just beat up Medusa or whatever. Basically, oh well, the rabbit has that hook, fishing line hook, and they use that uh, for Bernard and Bianca to hang on to as the because ele- remember they want the gators to run into the the old elevator, like the old um, right. yeah on the on the wrought iron elevator. It's a wrought yeah. iron elevator with like the grill work and everything and they they lower the rabbit's got the fishing pole which has the mice on it so they lure Br- Brutus and Nero into the cage and it becomes or the elevator and it becomes a cage. So then the as soon as they go in the they fish, go up. They go up. Uh they're serving as bait basically. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, they just beat them up and then uh light up the fireworks so Penny can escape on the uh... swamp mobile. Yep. And then this is something that Medusa does, which, in my opinion, isn't terribly smart. She sews the diamond into the teddy that the oh yeah, she because she's like, well, can't I have my teddy back? Nope, Teddy's come with me. I've become fond of him. What you could have? Why? Yeah. Why she doesn't want anyone to see her leaving with the diamond? Like, what does that mean? She she thought that she would hide the diamond inside the teddy bear. But 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 but, why? Because like everybody there knows she has the diamond. Well, it's well when you're gonna fly. I know that. Like, oh well, if you're gonna fly away, and then they're gonna be like, "Oh, what's this diamond doing here?" She Uh, could have waited till she got to the airport. I don't uh, know. But it's like there's so many better places you could hide it. But I think the reason the animators chose to do that is so when Penny left, of course she's gonna take Teddy with her. So then. We can now know, oh, the diamond was found in her teddy bear mm. and therefore gets to be put into, when when she goes back, into the Museum of Natural History. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah. Or the, the Smithsonian. 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 It's not the museum. It's the Smithsonian. Sorry. It's all bad. good. No worries. Um, but, so, yeah. yeah, and that's the movie. <laughs> yeah, basically, they, they win. They beat up Medusa. They... Medusa, which I, again, Medusa gets caught on this thing and she's all like, oh, I'm There's... so mad, but... It ends with Brutus and Nero trying to eat her, and I'm like, wait, I thought that's her pets. Why is this happening? Yeah. Because For whatever reason, they are now angry at Medusa <laughs> and are trying to eat her. And like, yeah, it's not particularly clear why. Yeah. Like, so it's just another beat in this movie that they decided needed yeah. to happen. This movie yeah. gets, like, weaker and weaker. In, 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 I mean, there's all this stuff that that is just, like, about Bernard, Bianca, and, like, Penny, that stuff works. Like, I actually like... The last really strong scene I feel like in this movie before the ending is when they're in the the black hole. Yeah, I and then agree. after that mm-hmm. it's just antics. And well, then, yeah, and then the fireworks going off with the steamboat it looks really cool. It does. Watching the steamboat sink into the swamp is kind of cool too. But yeah. like, but uh, they escape in the swamp mobile. Penny gets adopted. We jump to like 
Yeah, a we're, while later. we're we're at the Rescue Aid Society. They're watching it on television, and uh, Penny they because it. <laughs> Because it's about uh, the diamond, this amazing find, and this crazy situation. Of course, it's on television and on the news. The world's largest diamond, according to the report. Yes. And then they said, and the best part is she got adopted. And to which he's interviewing Penny. And Penny's like, you talk to the mice? Yeah. Can I say hi to them? Hi, Bernard. Hi, Bianca. And it's like, it, it's cute. It's cute. Uh, but then they have to go on another mission. Okay, so that oh that that's just one other thing. Evan Rude joins the Rescue Aid Society. Apparently, yep. he's part of yeah. their yeah. So that's kind of neat. Well, the way they have him framed, it's almost like Evan Rude is their baby. Aw, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I thought of it more like their pet, their new, uh, they're kind of like their new doggy or their new kitty. Yeah, which is a little um, I don't know because they're all animals. It's kind of it does. It's not really clear what he is. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. He, because is he of average intelligence as an animal of an animal, or is he, yeah. or is he dumber? Because Brutus and Nero never talk either. Like no, what what? Well, what? they're villains. Yeah, if you villain, you're you're dumb and can't talk. They were smart well, enough I mean, to play the pipe organ. Yeah. Well, them and the bats, right? Because the bats are not really humanized at all. They have red eyes. That's right. True. That's true. So mm. villainous creatures are less intelligent or just they're they're not they're not anthropomorphized the same way but even rude is the exception in this movie right again but he's more like a pet than or an animal okay did they they take him at the end when they're flying with orville they take evan rude with them right? yes they do okay because evan because remember uh uh orville is like struggling and then even rude has to push his tail up and like he's helping him fly. oh yeah that's right but then eventually he settles down into their into the seats in the little tune canna or tuna <laughs> can, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. We never see. By the way, this is something to think about. Remember that Evan Rude is apparently with Bernard and Bianca now because we never see him again in the Rescuers Down Under. Yep. Oh yeah, that's a good point. So he didn't survive that that whatever mission. Basically, they this movie is beautifully animated, but a lot of stuff just happens and then it ends. <laughs> yeah, basically, that's the way to sum it up. We spent a long time talking about it because it's worth talking about, but it, yeah, really a uh, very strong first half that kind of peters out by the end of it. Honestly, like I, I honestly think the movie is at its apex uh, at the very very beginning, which yeah. is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I know because I was like I. I because I was like, oh, okay, and this is better than I thought it was. And then it's like, this is getting worse now. Mm-hmm. This is going off the rails now. Okay, movie, you're losing me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> There's a, So the story it tells kind of just goes in a direction, and the direction doesn't really seem to matter. That's one of the big problems with the, the story itself, right? Is just yeah. that, that it has no arc or finish other than uh, Penny gets adopted. Like, it has no other characters that really... I'm Okay, Penny gets adopted, Bernard and Bianca go on another mission together, and even Root is saved from the bats. Like, yeah, every and then the diamond goes into the Smithsonian. But all the other characters, oh, Ruf- I guess... Rufus, gets, Rufus kind of gets adopted, too, because he's with, with Penny. Yeah, that's right, because Penny okay. brings Rufus with her. But that's... Yeah, but that doesn't really help or hinder rufus or his character and then there's no. like all the all the other characters just kind of continue to exist like there's no um arcs for anyone else yeah basically um so who wants to guess how well this film did 
It did okay? I'm going to guess okay, yeah. It did better than okay? It was a was smashing a success. Sequel? It was a smashing success. <laughs> it, it warranted a sequel. I, like, I was like, it did okay? And then I'm like, no, wait, it warranted a sequel. Yeah, it got $48 million at the box office. Whoa. And, whoa. and the cost was, you said, $7.5 million? Yep. And so, then, more than triple. And it outgrossed Star Wars when it was re- released in France. <laughs> if that tells you something. And it was also the highest grossing film in West Germany at the time. Wow. And then um, uh, by the end of its theatrical run, when it was uh, it uh, distributor rentals, like film rentals, $19 million, uh, And then its international rentals totaled $41 million. <laughs> Not only that, um, the song Someone's Waiting for You, nominated for Academy Award. That's okay. the one that got nominated? Yeah. Well, that song's okay. It's not my favorite in the movie. <laughs> and then in 2008, the American Film Institute nominated The Rescuers for its top 10 animated film list. Everybody loved it. And actually, uh, this was considered the company's first major success since The Jungle Book. Good for that. Wow. Them. Yeah. yeah. And actually, a lot of critics were saying, oh my gosh, uh, Walt Disney animated de- animation department can actually do well ever since the death of Walt. Like, yeah. People wow. apparently loved this film. I'm surprised we don't see more of Bernard and Bianca, though, these days. Just saying. If they had that much of an impact at the time. Well, there actually was a point where they were considering it, making it into a TV show, but that didn't happen. Oh, hmm. But, yeah. I gotta say, Jungle Book has way more staying power than this movie oh, does. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it does, yeah. But, but the, I mean, to be fair, this movie did stick with me. Mm-hmm. Just watching it but, as an adult. Well, I, I mean, what, like I said, like this movie sticks with you, but only certain parts stick with you. Yeah, not, no, it's not the whole thing. Like Jungle Book, all, all I remember all the songs. I remember the character, like all the characters and their names. I remember like the full movie. This again, it has ups and downs. It has a lot of ups and downs, and I I think it's okay. That's all I think. It's a, it's okay. It's not yeah. amazing. I'm surprised, like, that a film like this did so successful. Not just successful, but, like, amazingly successful. That's insane. Yeah. I, I Maybe it was because it's an adventure film? There is that, yeah. Like, it's a departure from, like, what Disney was kind of known for for a bit. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of, but, yeah. I, I, no, oh, not only that, how... Because of how well it did, uh, according to the publisher of the Rescuer novels, it became on the bestseller list. Not just the t- first two, not just Rescuers and Miss Bianca, all of them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I have never read any of them. Neither have Neither I. Neither have I. But this was just, <laughs> they, they became bestsellers in 1978. So Dang. I, I've never read any of them. I didn't even know they were books. Um, maybe I might read them. Who knows? But I don't know. Yeah, this, the movie was okay. That's a, mm-hmm. that's what I think. It, it has... It's just okay. It's on the good side of okay. It, uh, yeah, it has a lot of ups and downs that congeal into an okay. <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, the ups outweigh the downs for, of this movie for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, I think it helps that the main characters are so likable yeah. in their own way. I, I have to admit, my favorite part of this is Bernard and Bianca. They are amazing characters, um... I am glad that they return for a sequel because I totally would. I think they make an amazing couple, and I think they have great chemistry. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Bob Newhart as uh, Bernard and uh, Ava Gabor as Bianca. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, the actors, I mean, they, I know they probably weren't in the same booth or anything, but they seem to bounce off each other well, so. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Rika, <laughs> thank you for joining us on this. Oh, yeah, sure. This uh, is a lot of fun. This is... This was a lot of fun. Yeah, actually. I really enjoyed I this I like one. how in-depth we went with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so if people would like to hear the things that you do, or if there's anything you'd like to plug now would be a great time to, uh, to plug. To well, plug. we're, sh- we're going to start, um, uh, producing another Reagan episode, uh, Ray, uh, Reagan readers episode. So you should check that out in the coming weeks. I know that, uh, David will be doing a voice. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I mean he. Uh, I mean I've, will, I've lent my. I, I mean I'm I'm giving voice to your your show is what. Oh yeah, yeah sorry. So, sorry. I mean we're we're going to be um, repoing a specific piece of technology from from an alien. Oh, is that what's going to happen? Yeah. So so <laughs> I mean I don't know where where David gets involved there, but I don't. I'm not involved. These are in real intergalac- people. Look, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm not. You have to understand, I'm not an intergalactic repo man, so I mean... Okay, yeah, you don't, you don't, just don't know how all this works. Yeah, I'm still wrapping my head around it, so good luck no. to you, honestly, dealing with that situation, but well, <laughs> I'll be interested to hear what you guys read on the way. Okay, so. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, next month, we will be doing the Fox and the Hound, as we mentioned before. Uh, Paprika's partner will be joining us for this. Uh, we get Just to- remind him of that when he, whenever he gets out of the space can. Right, and I will. Um, I, I'm unfortunately probably going to watch Fox and the Hound with him. Oh, in which case we're going to have to go to Costco and purchase more Kleenex. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was actually informed by Abysme. He's like, I have to mentally prepare myself for Fox and the Hound. <laughs> I don't. I, I, you know, it's not going to surprise me if it is. It does end up being both of you for that one. Like, oh, talking about it. If you guys, if you want to come on and join for Fox uh, and the Hound. I'll let him decide on that one. I mean, I can be on other episodes, too, if that's available. Oh, of course. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, again, uh, thank you all for listening. Obviously, uh, we've had a good run this month well, with Pete's Dragon just before this and uh, Fox and the Hound coming up in uh, uh, May. Yes. My brain. Uh, <laughs> so in, we're we in, have to... We're in April. Next month is May. That's right. My, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking of that swamp and the riverboat and the mice and the Go. We- charge charge bup, 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 bup. Da, 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 however it went <laughs> how it went that's exactly how it went wow I, I remember this movie way too well for everything <laughs> all right uh well um good night good night bernard good night bianca <laughs> you you have to say your prayers oh yeah that's to- right you have to say your prayers with Teddy. Oh, yeah, we have to say our... Everybody say your prayers with Teddy. Good night, everyone. Tomorrow is another Hello, this is Brendan Creasy, and I'm the host of Radio Brendo Man, a podcast on the Benvy Network. 
I'll be interviewing a new guest each episode on the show. We'll be talking about creating things, all things geek culture, movies, TV, and all kinds of other stuff. If that sounds cool, check out Radio Brendo Man at RadioBrendo.com, BenviewNetwork.com, or in your podcast app. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.